This is the last sermon in the Where Are We Going series. Trying to identify in a very broad terms our vision. Because our vision is not fully formulated yet and it will not be until we get a team of people together in the church to begin working on that. What a story this is you hear in this. It's one of my favorite stories in the scripture. I like it because it's just so ridiculous. I like it because he took the trouble to say in the words of the text that not only did Peter get out of the boat, but Peter walked on the water. Now, he didn't walk very far, evidently. But he did get on the water, and he got far enough away from the boat that he couldn't just turn around and grab the boat. He was needing Jesus to save him. And I'm so thankful that they said something so outrageous for God so that we people who are all these thousands of years later will have the opportunity to let that soak in. I mean, I know we've come a long way to get in the shape we're in. <laughs> the church has been around now a long time, and yet the church still struggles. What I'm going to suggest to you today as a part of this message as I continue to speak is that this text has some key points for us that we can apply to our lives as brothers and sisters here in the Church of Jesus Christ, the First United Methodist Church in Carrollton, Texas. Back to the story. The context of the story is Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. You know, they'd gotten hungry it's late in the day, and the disciples said, send these people away, man. It's time to eat, and we can't feed this mob. And Jesus said something to the effect, well, you feed them. And they looked at him and said, what? With what? We don't have anything. Well, go out and find something. You know, do something. And so they went. And all they found was one little boy that brought lunch. Now, I know there's some commentators out there that say everybody really hid their food in their cloaks because they didn't want to share it. That's how far people will go to mess up the scripture. But really, I think the boy had all that there was because that's what the text says. It's an easy thing to believe. And then Jesus did something astounding. He took that bread and he broke it and he fed them. And he had basketfuls of things left over. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Guess what they wanted to do after that? Here's a guy that just took a few fishes and a couple of loaves and boom. He fed 5,000 men plus all the women and the children and nobody was hungry. They wanted to make him king according to the gospel of John. At least that's what was in their heart and Jesus knew it. He's only, he's only gospel writer when he's recording this story that says that. But he does say that he perceived in their hearts they wanted to make him king. Why? Bread and fish, right? I mean, hey, that's a staple diet there, right? That would be like pizza and hamburgers here, right? And Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke will kill you if you don't watch it, by the way. <laughs> But when he said that, then Jesus knew something had to give. So he did two things. One, he sent the people away. Actually, he did three things. Two, he told the disciples to cross the lake. He'd meet them on the other side. And three, he went to the mountain to pray. Sure, Jesus wanted to be king. Sure, Jesus wanted to lead the people out of their bondage again, so to speak. He wanted to do that. But he knew that was not the plan. So... Jesus, as he always did, when he was pushed or pressed, or he knew he was being tempted, I think, he took off and went to the mountain to pray. Not a bad idea. 
And then when he was through praying, he went to the disciples, which were headed across the lake. He just took a shortcut. He wasn't showing off. He was just taking a shortcut to get there. He probably didn't even think about it. He probably just took off walking, uh, not even thinking about the fact there was a storm and the waves were blowing. But along the way, he came along the disciples. Now, what was their condition? First of all, they were confused. What? This was it. This is what they had been praying for. Messiah, King, take the crown, Jesus. Come on. Nope. That's not the way it's going to be. So now they were brokenhearted, disappointed would be fair to say. Their faith was a little bit shaken. They, they thought he was going to be the Messiah. And the people were crowding around him, loving everything he was doing, and just begging him to be their leader. But Jesus said, no, that's not it. So in this shape, then the storm blew up. And with a shaky faith already, they got frightened. Afraid Jesus had forgot about them. You ever been there? Thinking that Jesus is, just doesn't know where you are, doesn't know how desperate your situation is. Then he comes walking on the water. Sounds like a great rescue, right? Except for one thing. They weren't sure he was. In fact, they thought he was a ghost. After all, Jesus doesn't walk on water. Nobody walks on water, right? Nobody. That's just not something that happens. So here's Jesus walking on the water. The only one that speaks up, you might know who it would be, right? Oh, Peter, bless his heart. He's responsible for a lot of good stuff for us in the scripture. He hollers out, Lord, uh, after the Jesus had said, it is I. Still nobody speaks. But that's when Peter calls out. Say, if it's you, if it's you, call me to come. Call me to walk on the water to you. In other words, I want to follow Jesus, right? Isn't that what that really means? I want to follow Jesus. You're walking on the water. If that's you, then call me. I'm going to walk on the water too. Sounds just like Peter, right? Then he crawls out of that boat. That must have been a weird first step. You know, when you get out of the boat, there's only one way to do it. I mean, especially with the storms raging, the waves high. You got to throw one leg over and then the other. So he's got one leg on water, not sinking in, and one leg in the boat. It's a wonder he just didn't sit there and think, I'm hung up right here. I'm not moving. You know. But he did. He got all the way out of the boat, frightened as he was, and he took off. But then, you know, after... A short walk, he began to realize what he was doing. Oh, my Lord, I'm walking on the water. These waves are high out here. And he looked at the waves, and he looked at the storm, and he took his eye off Jesus. And then he began to sink. He began to sink, and he cried out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus did. Took him back to the boat. And chastised him a little bit for his lack of faith. Now, I'm sure there was more conversation that went on after that. That's where the story really stops. It doesn't stop there for me. I'm thinking if I'm Jesus about that time after I get through chastising Peter softly, gently. I think I'm looking at the other 11 and going, what are you all smiling about? What are you doing in the boat? Why are you still sitting in the boat? I called I call Peter. Didn't you think he was a disciple too? Didn't you want to come on the water? Nobody said a word. Y'all sat there on your hands while the it was raging around you, and you were just satisfied to stay right where you were. One got out. Levin stayed in the boat. Now, they had just seen him take a few fishes and bread and feed 5,000 in their families. For goodness sakes, this was not a normal dude. This was Jesus. 
How many times have I got to tell you that before you get it right? Well, a lot, right? I mean, you have to, he has to tell us a lot. He had to tell them a lot. But that's a great story and a lot of things we can learn from it. Let's be clear about something. This is a side sermon. This isn't a real sermon. This is a side sermon. Fear attacks faith. Do you remember that? Fear attacks faith. Fear is one of our greatest enemies as Christians. It's one of the greatest enemies of the church is fear. Now, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about appropriate fear. I'm not talking about standing in front of a bus and seeing if Jesus will save you. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about fear from things that happen in life that are beyond our control. I'm talking about fear that, that's a normal part of being healthy and normal. I'm talking about fear that we sometimes cook up in ourselves because we're so frightened and generally that we make things worse than they are. I deal with a lot of fear as pastor. Not here, of course, but in other churches where they're not so Christian. You know, a lot of people are just afraid. You know, they're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. They're afraid to, they're afraid to say boo. You know, they, they just... It amazes me how prone we humans are to fear. Even though I've lived all these years, and I myself every now and then find myself feeling afraid of something or other, which is kind of ridiculous, really, when it comes to the church. Yeah, I've had a few congregations, of course not you, but I've had a few congregations that I was afraid for them. I was afraid that they weren't getting it together, that they weren't going to get where they needed to be. And I had to be reminded by the Father that Jesus was taking care of the congregation. That I needed to do what I was called to do, and then I needed to leave it up to them to do what they were called to do, too. So when I think about fear, I think that's why only Peter got out of the boat. The rest of them were scared, spitless. They couldn't move. They were paralyzed. What makes a difference in people being afraid? Why was Peter the only one that wanted to walk on the water? Was it because it was such a terrifying thing to think about or because it seemed so impossible? I don't know. But I do know this. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. You can never be a water walker as long as your tail is attached to that seat in the boat. If you're too afraid to trust Jesus and get out of your boat in life, then you will never have the joy and the satisfaction of living truly triumphantly for Christ. And I know a lot of Christians who are lovely people, but their Christian life has been boring. Boring. Some of you are worried. Now you're afraid I'm thinking about you, and I might be. I'm not dumb enough to call your name. I'm thinking about people from other congregations again. The reality is we do get afraid and we do get settled in our ways because fear has taught us that when you get outside of your norm, your routine, doing something different, it might be bad. It might be bad. How many times have I said at a board meeting these 35 years and heard, well, that's not the way we've ever done it. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't always take it that way, though. (laughs) 
I've never been one to let a congregation stay in the boat. I've always loved risk. I'm the one that hurt my eye because I took a risk. I wanted to break my mother's exerciser. Have I told that story here? My mother had one of the Jack LaLanne exercisers when I was a boy about this tall. And she made a mistake of saying one day, you can't break this thing, it's indestructible. <laughs> she laid it down. I looked around, nobody was watching. I picked it up and I went back down the hall into her bedroom and shut the door. Put the thing over my foot and pull as hard as I can. I thought, I'm gonna break this, I'm gonna show her. And I did get showed. It slipped off of my toe and popped me in the eye. And I got to lay 72 hours in the hospital wondering if I was going to see out that eye. All the time I said, boy, that was really stupid. You know, that was really dumb. And it was really dumb. Uh, but I'm kind of that way. And some of that is probably why I'm your pastor now. And that's why I've been pastoring some other congregations that needed somebody to come who would take a risk. Because you see, a lot of pastors, they take risk assessment in seminary and they're told not to take any. Actually, that's not completely true. But it's sort of true, at least it seems so, the way you see many leaders act in the church. You see, they know what I know, and that is that people don't like to change. But that doesn't mean they can't doesn't mean they shouldn't. It doesn't mean they must not twitch it where they are. It means they must change. And if we as a congregation, if I have a vision for this congregation, besides seeing you gather in all kinds of small groups, besides seeing you talk and think about being a servant, having the mind of Christ, it's this, that we will follow Christ wherever that takes us. And that includes, in fact, it starts with getting out of the boat. And you say, well, what boat are we in? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to stay here a long time, and I'll preach about that the next month. I'm going to preach about risk the next three weeks. Why not this year is the title of the next sermon series that starts next Sunday. Why not this year? Well, why not looking at this, John Ortberg wrote the little book, and I taught it, and probably a lot of you have read it. I think I've seen it here. probably been taught in some of your adult Sunday school classes. Entitled, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. He makes a... He milks it dry. I mean, he gets, he gets everything in the world out of it. A lot of good stories. And I just loved, just loved that sermon, that book, and that idea. He says, and I quote, water, walk, water walking is a picture of doing with God's help what I could never do on my, on my own. Water walking is a picture of doing with God's help what I could never do on my own. The problem is sometimes we forget that. We forget that God intends for us to attempt things that are bigger than we are. Because that is the way that God gets the glory for it. When we do things that are human um, motivated, that are human okay, uh, capable of being accomplished by humans, at that point and at that time, we can tell the world well, how great we are, can't we? Man, did you see the church we built? We raised $3 million to build a new sanctuary. You see our youth group? It's awesome. Fills the house. Yeah. We have done great work with our youth. 
Really? Really? We've hired a youth director, and he's in the house. Got the youngest of our youth in his arms right now. <laughs> but the reality is that it's Jesus who does the work in you. It is people who God uses as conduits to speak into your lives so that you won't be paralyzed by fear. You know, the kind of fears that crop up all the time when you're a teenager. The fear that you won't be accepted. The fear that you won't measure up. The fear that your grades will not be what you need them to be to get to where you want to go to school. The fear that he will not like you. The fear that she will like you. Fear. Fear. There are a lot of fears you face, right? But you know, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is you're not on that boat alone. The rest of these folks still feel fears now. The bad news is fear's still around. Fear's still around and it's healthy. I don't, however, like to live in fear. I never have. It just doesn't seem to me to be a Christian response that will get the attention of the world. And if you're as sinful as I am, I need to do a lot of things well, at least some things well, so that I can get some credit for it. Not that it's going to balance the balance sheet. I'm always going to lean on Jesus. But just to make myself feel a little bit uh, uh, worthy of calling myself a Christian. Because we've been ransomed, as we were saying this morning. Our souls have been ransomed by Jesus Christ. Surely, surely we can pour out something in our lives that is better than making a living and showing up in church on Sunday with a bunch of people who are like us. And this is the safest place in the world for us, right? We're all risk takers inside here. Now, when we get to the budget, I don't know about that. It's a little bit harder, isn't it? Uh, we've been risk takers before, planned or unplanned. You need to be a planned risk taker, by the way, let me say that. <laughs> don't be an unplanned risk taker. You can really get yourself in trouble that way. Be a planned risk taker. And I'm going to be talking about risk the next three Sundays. But in this place, for this text at this time, I want us to be thinking about how hard it's going to be to walk on water if this congregation is to discover, to strategize, and to follow through with a plan that will add to who we already are and make us become truly a congregation that is fishers of men and women. That's what I believe. And I believe one of the reasons it's hard is because you're an older congregation. By that I mean you've been around a long time. When was this congregation founded? 1901? That's pretty old. You've been around a while. The older you get, the more set you become in your ways. If you don't make change regularly. And change is hard to make regularly, isn't it? You know, it's a hassle. I don't like to change. I don't like to sleep in a motel bed. That's when I really knew I was oldest. When Sal and I were talking about, oh, we've been gone from our own bed for a while. Time to get back. <laughs> 30 years ago, I would have never even thought about that. Now I think about it. I like my bed, okay? But you know, that's the way life is. We get comfortable. We get safe. We feel secure. We know what's coming next. And therefore, we don't panic. I remember the Sunday when the printer broke in Frisco, Texas. I was still pretty new there. And since the printer broke, we couldn't get the bulletins copied. 
So I told, looked at the staff. They said, what are we going to do? I said, it's simple. He said, what do you mean? No bulletin this Sunday. No bulletin? No bulletin. Now, I know y'all don't live by the bulletin in this church. You're blessed for, because of that. But in most churches, they live by the bulletin. You can't do anything unless it's written down that bulletin. You know, I've seen the Holy Spirit sometimes, you know, raise his hand. Can, can, I, can I have a word? Nope, you're not in the bulletin. You're not in the order of service. <laughs> well, that's the way it works sometimes. And when they got there that morning, I should have filmed the whole thing. That was my big mistake. I was too young still at that age to realize how much fun that was going to be. <laughs> People came to the door to come into the church and, where's the bulletin? Nobody handed me a bulletin. And by the time I got there, I'd already been met by three or four ushers. Man, everybody's upset there's no bulletin. I said, really? I said, great. And he said, we've been great. I said, well, I just want to see what they do. So I made a point out of that when I got in the service to say, don't worry about a bulletin. I know where we're going, and you'll just follow. It's not so bad. Relax. Have fun. A bulletin does not define us. And they did, and they knew from that time up on never to trust me anymore. <laughs> and if you think I can be depended on to do anything over and over again in the same way, you don't know me very well. I thrive on change, intentional change that is good for me, intentional change that is good for a family, intentional change that is mandatory for a congregation to survive many, many, many years. I can tell you how hard it is to change. This is the shortest side. This is not, I don't even call this part of the sermon. I'm, I'm almost through. Don't get panicky. My daughter was coming to see me this weekend, my Tyler daughter. Rachel's her name. Rachel is uh, strong-willed. I think she gets that from her mother. <laughs> and she was supposed to come and have pictures made. They were going to have the whole family. And then there was a funeral that Chad had to go out of town. And that's my other daughter's husband. So therefore, we couldn't take the whole big family thing. Then her husband decided to go to the dear Lisa, since Chad wasn't going to be there. And then Rachel decided she was going to come home and bring the three dogs with her. Now, when we moved from one place in Frisco to another where we live now on the edge of Little M, we spent $3,500 to replace the carpet that the first dog had ruined. And I never let Rachel forget that. And she still owes me for that carpet, the way I look at it. And her mama, though, being stronger than I am, has set her foot down. You can't bring all those dogs. One of them is a little boy dog. And yet you know exactly what he does. He's one of those little useless white dogs that everybody buys. <laughs> the only thing they're good for is to sit on your lap and let you pet them. And Rachel has two of those. She has a, uh, what's the other thing she has, Sally? What's Paris's name? Paris' name. Now, I know his name. What kind of dog is he? No, she's a Yorkie. She's a Yorkie. She's a Yorkie. He's a little white, fluffy thing. <laughs> and then they bought a, a dog that hunts and herds cows. And they got all three of them in the house, and they want to bring them home. Sarah said, no, can't do that. i got a baby crawling on the floor. Can't come here with that many dogs. Sarah has two herself, so that would have been really, we've had that nightmare already. <laughs> then it's old mama. No, I heard her talking on the phone. No, you got to leave. get the dogs home. Hire somebody to look after them. No, hard-headed Rachel. I'm not going to change. I've got, got to take my dogs with me. Hard-headed Sally. 
Do not bring those dogs on my carpet and mess it up again. So I didn't get to see my daughter. Now I'm not happy about that. But I'd really been looking forward to this visit. It's been a while since she'd been home. And I was ready to see her. And so I suggested a thing or two while Sally was on the phone, not heard by either one, I'm sure. But it didn't matter. Everybody got to make their point. And the result was, I didn't get to see my daughter. I don't like that result. But my daddy never allowed a dog in the house. He thought that whole concept was absolutely ridiculous. That floats around my head all the time, but I've long since given in to that. We babysit for the dogs. You don't even want to hear it. (laughs) But we're not going to keep those three because one of them is a little toot. (laughs) Okay, that's a side. That's to say this. Change is hard, and sometimes we're just not willing to make it. What does this story have to do with our vision? I see us becoming an other-oriented church. That we live first for others. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, Love the Lord thy God with all our heart, thy mind, and thy soul, and thy strength. And the second commandment is likened to the first. And love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? We sent out an advertisement a while back in the neighborhood. That advertisement was inviting all the children that it went to to attend our VBS and to our Wacky Camp. Wacky Camp kind of took the place of Fine Arts Camp this year. It was a totally different kind of camp. It kind of frightened me because it meant somebody had been listening to me preach to the staff. That always frightens me when they're really listening. And this Wacky Camp with a name like that was going to be what? It's going to be fun. The emphasis was fun. 80 kids came. 80 kids came. 60 of which were not members of this church. We spent $1,000 to advertise. We put it on the website. We made people welcome when they came during VBS. We fawned over the people just like they were the guests that they were. And guess what? Some of them came back. And even if they hadn't come back, they came here for a week and heard about Jesus in a wacky way of having fun. We may have changed some of their perspectives forever. An other-oriented church studies its culture and decides what kind of means they can use to reach out to them. Not the kind of means they want to use, because we know what we want to do. We want to come in and sit down and let us teach them about Jesus, because they don't know anything about Jesus. The trouble is they're not interested in that. They're interested in following the Spirit and worshiping God. Just Jesus saying, ah, man, so much, you know, but sitting and talking, studying, mm, I don't know. You know, that, that kind of frightens them. They're kind of frightened of us. We're church people. And evidently, we are really fearsome. They have fears different from our fears. And we have to figure out ways. We have to strategize ways that we can communicate to the people of Carrollton that they don't have to be afraid to come here. That we're not going to bombard them with the gospel. We're not going to beat them over the head with the salvation stick. We're going to actually love them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the best way that we can figure out how to do it. 
That's what I call being an other-oriented church. It's invitational, and it's focused. Just like the old hymns that others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Y'all don't know what that's from, do you? You ever sung that hymn? Nope, you haven't, have you? Youth, I'm talking to y'all. <laughs> have you ever sung that hymn, Others, Lord, Yes, Others? Nope. How many of the congregations sung the hymn, Others? Nope. Well, see there? <laughs> Not very many. Well, let me tell you this. I want you to go home and look up the hymn, find it in your book. Tennessee already earned it forward, did a great job with it, uh, on the record that my daddy used to play. And that tune has always kind of stayed with the others, Lord, let, yes, others, let my motto be. It's great words. Look it up. You'll learn what I'm talking about when I say other-oriented. Let this be our motto, that we think first of the people who are not here. And we think second about ourselves. If we do that in the community of Carrollton, Amazing things will happen. That is my vision. Now, what do I see now? I see a bunch of people lined around the ship. And a storm is raging. We're oppressed by some debt. We're oppressed by some issues. We're depressed. A little frightened because we haven't grown the way we thought we would. So my question is a simple one. Despite our fears, despite our past, are we ready to get out of the boat? Are we ready to test our fears and see if we can find our faith and express our faith by just small changes in such a way that it will draw people to this place to worship our Lord? Recognize the presence of Jesus walking. We have to do that. If you don't recognize it's Jesus you're hollering to, you're never going to get there. If you don't have a desire to follow the footsteps of Jesus, if you don't have that desire, I'm not talking about following the footsteps of your spouse or your neighbor. Follow the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was other-oriented. If we don't make a decision to get out of the boat, and if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and live by faith, then we just need to sit in the boat and be happy. Because you know, y'all are a pretty good congregation. We can just have a good time. Uh, every Sunday here is a good time for me. I mean, I enjoy this thing. You're, you're mostly pretty good folks. I got a few of you I'm worried about, but I'm praying about you. So, you know, uh, I guess I could ask for those that think that's them to stand up, but I'll refrain. So just know that what we really, what I'm seeing in my vision is a makeover. But it's not going to be as drastic as the ones you see on TV. What you see now is what you're going to continue to see, but we're going to tilt everything. We're going to make a small change and get different results. A small change for others and get different results. That's called a makeover. A small change. By making small changes, we get great results. We're going to figure out strategies. We're going to feel like what it will look like now and when we're successful by following Jesus to that place. Now, it's a simple invitation this morning. Everything is invitational in the church if it's done right. This is invitational too. If you need to pray about your boat, 
chancel rails will be open. If you'd like to get on this boat so you can get out with us and become a member of this church, just come forward while we're singing this last song. If you've never really gotten out of your boat and gotten into the boat of Christ as your Savior, I offer Jesus to you today and ask you to come if you're ready as we sing this closing song. Will you stand with me?